And Paul was urging the people there to keep the unity. And he also said that you would no longer be infants and that they would grow to mature and to be one. And uh, that there was uh, to speak the truth in love. And uh, I, I thought she made a great point. It was like God's truth, not our opinion. You may well have had those conversations sometime if you've been a Christian for any time and uh, someone's come and they've told you something and it's like, I'm just speaking this in love and uh, if it's the truth, it's in love. But if it's their own opinion, it's their own opinion and, uh, and that's that. But nonetheless, there is definitely a role and a place for, for speaking the truth to one another out of love and sometimes that's in a, in a correcting kind of manner. Uh, but as long as it's done in love, that's the main thing. And then the last thing really just to pick up on what she said last week was that we are all held together, all doing their bit, and that we are interdependent and we affect one another. And so how you're doing affects me and how I'm doing affects you and how each of us are doing, we all affect each other. And, and that's it. And we're, we're called to be together this I love I've said this many times before probably never get tired of saying it I love Sundays I love getting together this wider audience as we're family but I equally love uh, the the big as in the small I love the fact that in the small groups the times when we gather is just fantastic Friday morning the the guys who run rest Malcolm Elaine their team and they're gathering other folks from our community it's just fantastic Thursday mornings in our venue are equally brilliant with little tiny ones running around and their mums and dads. And I know those of you who commit to going to groups on Wednesdays and Thursdays and whenever it is, that there's just such a buzz about being together. And that's what we want to look at this morning is explore and just go deeper about what is this thing called church and how are we to relate to each other. The horizontal relationship is between us and God. It's what God has done for us to create this. But then, that was the vertical I meant. And this is the horizontal in terms, I was good at math, um, is, this, is this horizontal, how do we do life together in a loving way? How do we do life with each other without completely annoying the living daylights out of each other? How do we sustain growth as a church without going off the wall or without creating some sort of awful, terrible division when something in the future could occur? How do we prevent those things? Because that's definitely not God's agenda. That's definitely not God's desire. How do we relate to each other? So uh, let's dive in. Chantelle, I hadn't briefed you on this, but here we go, my dear. You're a good, you're a great reader. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Okay. So, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility and their thinking. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he's writing to this church in Ephesus, and he's saying some strong words, I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord, you must not live like the Gentiles. He's basically urging them to change, saying change, you can't be like those folks anymore, you need to be a different way. And he's saying this because now in Christ, a new day has come. Change is a coming. We sometimes use this phrase. I used it earlier in Vineyard, uh, earlier today. When God shows up, everything changes. And I want you to think, because I'm going to say lots of things here about how we should change, how we should, as Christians, be different to those who are not yet saved. But here's the thing. This is the caution Please don't think that this is about behavior modification. I must try really harder. I must not do this. I must do that. Because that's an awful, awful Northern Irishism saying. It's called good living. You've heard that, haven't you? I, I'd never heard that till I moved here. It's about good living. And so people use that phrase. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's the way you should be, act. That's the way you should behave. This is not about, well it is kind of about, but it is about behavioral change, but it's not about human behavioral modification. This is ultimately about God's power, God's Holy Spirit in us and through us that changes our behavior. And so that's the, the kind of, uh, the thing right at the beginning. God, when he shows up, everything changes. Here's a story I read during the week. Big John. Big John had been living on the streets of London for over 10 years. Uh, he'd spent over nine years in prison. Most of his teeth were missing. He was addicted to methadone. His nickname on the streets was Big John because he was a big guy who once boxed in the army. Big John walked into a night shelter ran by a church in London. He loved it. He appreciated the young people and what they were doing for him and, uh, and how they cared for him. He started coming to church. He went on a course called Alpha, which is a course which helps uh, individuals hear about the basics and the uh, the, the kind of cornerstone things that Christians believe. And he encountered Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He came off the drugs and God turned his life right around. He started telling his friends on the streets about Jesus. Each week he would turn up at church with new friends and more friends. And his nickname changed from Big John to John the Baptist. <laughs> Only God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus and the relationship with Jesus has the power to change us. And Paul goes on to speak more to the Ephesians. He says this, 
they, meaning the Gentiles, they're darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance. Paul encourages the people not to live like others, not to live like their ways before Christ and those who don't yet know God. Why are they different? It's because they are separated from God. Why? Because of ignorance, because it's caused by the hardening of their hearts. The word hardening, the Greek word here was used, it was porosis, which comes from the word poros, which originally meant a stone that would be made harder than marble. And this word uh, you might have heard in medical terms, it's the chalk stone which can form in joints, which can paralyze action. Um, could be the word used for a callus that forms when a bone has been broken and it resets and that part of the bone becomes uh, harder. Uh, you might have heard of the term osteoporosis, which is actually the reverse. It's where a bone obviously weakens. Uh, and then finally, the word came to mean the loss of all power and sensation. And it is described something that has become so hardened that you can no longer feel. Okay? And what Paul is really writing, using this word, using this language, is that the people have so hardened their hearts that they no longer have any sensitivity or any ability to feel. And it's the most extreme. Just consider the most extreme kind of person that you can kind of think of. The most heinous of criminals. You know, some terrible things that we read and we see on the news each day. And we see these just terrible things happen. We kind of wonder, how could that person ever do that? How could they ever do, you know? And yet that person never started out as, as a heinous, terrible, whatever crime that they've committed. It started somewhere along the lines when sin uh, took place and immediately whenever a person sins, there's a sense of remorse and a sense of regret. And at that moment, a person has a choice to make, a decision to make. Do they turn to sorrow? And do they say, oh, turn and never do that again or try not to do that again? Or does a person actually remain in that and repeat the action and repeat the action? And so with time of repeating and repeating and repeating, it somehow hardens the heart. And when a person commits that act again and again and again, it leads to worse and worse and worse things. Suddenly they feel like, They've no feeling. You just do that. Cold-blooded murder. You've heard those expressions before. How could they ever do that? It's because over time and time, a person has so hardened their heart. Having lost all sensitivity, the Gentile people, Paul writes to, they have given themselves to sensuality, to all kinds of behavior that is impure, meaning not right, and they are full of greed. How is this possible? It's because their hearts, their hearts were hardened. Now here's the thing. I'm obviously talking about, you know, worst case kind of scenario. And I don't think for one minute there's any axe murderers amongst us this morning. If there are, please tell me. That would be really helpful. Um, but, but at the end of the day, let's be honest with ourselves. There's a part of us that hardens our hearts. And we would do well this morning to embark on a heart scan. Okay, not the sort of one that you go with the old ECG thing and see the old heartbeat going. But really, 
truthfully, honestly, go before the Lord and just ask him to search our hearts. I love that bit in Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. It's a bit like an MOT. Like who enjoys taking the car to the MOT? No one really, do we? Right? But it's necessary. And no one really wants to go before the Lord and go, God, search me. Show me all my stuff. <laughs> Show me all the stuff. Where, you, know. like, you don't want to do that. But it's good that we do that. Why do we take the car, the MOT? Because we want to be safe on the roads. Why do we do that? Because we want to be more like Jesus. And so this morning, as we do that, I'm encouraging you, I'm urging you. What are you holding on to? What is it that you really need Jesus to take charge of or control of? I really felt that as we worshiped this morning. That's why we just gave a bit of space for that, a bit of time for that. It's like, God, we surrender 